Welcome to the Grow Fast Podcast, where we talk with leading sales, marketing, and personal growth experts about how companies can accelerate sales, optimize marketing, and grow their businesses fast. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Grow Fast Podcast. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I will be the host of this episode of the Grow Fast Podcast. Now, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that I have a goal of reading and reviewing a couple sales or business growth or personal development books per month. And the purpose of that is that when I read them and then I review them, it kind of forces me to reflect on what I've read and it helps me to solidify or crystallize the the content there and sometimes hopefully apply that to whatever situation that I'm in. Today, we are going to be talking with the CEO of Dynamic Language, uh, Rick Antezana. And we're going to be talking with Rick about Gina Wickman's book called Traction. And we're also going to be talking with the main kind of theme that runs through that book, which would be EOS. And the EOS is quite unique because it helps. It was designed by Gina Wickman to help small and medium-sized businesses. He defines that as, you know, any company from one to 250 people, help them get to the next level. A lot of legacy companies, a lot of they they struggle they, early on. They experience some growth, then they are afraid to let go of some of the you know the practices that got them to where they're at, and that prevents them from scaling. And the EOS is all about designing, or is all about helping companies get to the next level. We're going to be talking to Rick about that, and just let me give you a little bit of background on Rick. Again, he's the CEO of Dynamic Language. Dynamic Language is a leading provider of language services. So that would be interpretation and translation services um, with a focus on healthcare, technology, and education. Dynamic provides a full range of these services, including transcreation, and they use a blend of technology and human translators and interpreters. So um, the company is perfect for this uh, because they have about 65 employees inside and outside the US. And of course, they work with thousands of freelancers and contractors and other agencies around the world to help them scale. But, you know, Rick's going to tell his story about how his organization, which I think was created in 1985, had reached, you know, had a fair amount of success, reached a certain point, but was, was kind of stalling out and they needed something to help them get to the next level. And the, 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 the system that they decided to, you know, go in on with is the EOS system. And so hold on and uh, we're going to get started and introduce Rick. Here we go. Hey, Rick, how you been? I've been good, Mark. Good to see you, man. Likewise, likewise. Hey, you know, I'm really excited uh, to talk to you about this book, Traction, and then the entrepreneurial operating system, mm-hmm. because I know that you implemented it in your company. And I, since I'm running a startup, read the book and it's like it solves all these problems kind of in advance or, or problems that, you know, I've seen so many times in the past, but I, I, I really want to, you know, kind of dig into this with you. So maybe we can start at the beginning and, and kind of level mm-hmm. set, like what is the EOS? Yeah. Uh, happy to jump into it and we can get into the history and all that stuff. From my perspective though, what is EOS? It's a business operating system. Basically it's, it's officially, it stands for entrepreneurial operating system, but it's a business management system and it's a philosophy too for me. And it's something where if a business wants to be organized, and we're talking about across the spectrum of all business functions, if they want to be organized and if you want to have a structure and accountability, 
EOS is something that totally takes care of that. And I'm not going to be proselytizing and saying, oh my gosh, it's the only way to go. It's certainly when we were taking a look at EOS, it was one of multiple options that we considered. And uh, I think another one is like 4DX, the four disciplines of execution. It was almost a toss up of 50-50 of which direction we were going to go. But I would say that for my senior leadership team, letting them invest their time into investigating each one of the options out there, they gravitated basically a little bit more towards traction, uh, which is the book by Gino Wickman, which is the basis for EOS. And so it was an easy decision for me. If they, they liked it, I'm like, okay, fine, let's go with it. And then also we have a business coach, uh, if you will, who went, who turned into our implementer, the person that helped us to figure out you know, each step of the way, how to implement the EOS system for our company. I would say an, a key thing for me though, has been that prior to EOS, and not to go too far back in time, but you know, our company started in 1985, so well over 30 years ago. We didn't have the kind of structure that just me personally, that I crave. Mm -hmm. And that's really what led to this happening. Once I was named CEO, uh, I said, okay, step one, let's really get organized. I mean, we were successful and we had a lot of things going for us, but I think a lot of the big picture ideas that we had were not getting the attention that they needed and we weren't accomplishing these big picture things. And so for me, that was a big goal of the EOS, of implementing the EOS system. Yeah. And we're going to spend some time kind of digging into the different aspects of it. What I've seen and what I've liked about it is, you know, I'm a big advocate in terms of process and I spend a lot of times on, on sales and business development. And I believe that you have to have a sales and business development process uh, you can't just go in and shoot from the hip. You got to have, you know, figure out what you're going to do in every situ situation, every scenario, every step in the in, in in the kind of that sales pipeline or funnel. You need to know what the process is, and this is the first time that I've seen like a comprehensive process across all aspects of the business. I've seen things like OKRs, you know, KPIs, things like that. Those are great, which are kind of I would call them objectives or goals or targets but they don't necessarily give you the process to achieve them and deal with many, many other things that the, the EOS allows you to deal with. I'm just going to read something from the book. We're going to talk about the promise, but then we're going to talk about, I'm going to ask you about some of the common reasons or, or frustrations that small and medium-sized business owners have in terms of trying to get to the next level. The promise of the EOS is you'll get great employees at all levels, you have a shared vision. Um, you communicate with each other and solve problems, demonstrate accountability, and you'll have the ability to scale, which, I mean, that pretty much checks, you know, all the boxes in terms of, you know, what a lot of companies are looking for. But the, the reality is a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, maybe they start off as family businesses and they get to a certain level, they start to have frustrations with different parts of the business. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you had trying to scale your business? Certainly. I think about the different areas of business and how they interact with each other. Certainly, you know, between finance, sales and marketing, those two in and of themselves are, you know, that's, that's a huge challenge. And then also for us on the operation side of things, it's difficult for them all to be, to work optimally without having alignment between them. And especially when it comes to the identity of the company, the brand of the company, I think we suffered for a number of years from the, the marketing angle of saying, Hey, we're all things to all people. We can translate, we can interpret, we can do all the services, 
we can support any language in any vertical, et cetera. It's not a compelling marketing message. If somebody's looking for a company that's going to take care of them in their specific area of need, do they want somebody that's, you know, if they're in banking, do they want somebody that specializes in gaming localization? Probably not. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are two very different areas of business. And so I think for me, having that alignment and that vision, because it really, really starts with that from an EOS standpoint is you have to have that vision up front and then everything can fit in below that in alignment. And it's uh, it, it was a really, really valuable process for me going through the, the, the discussions, communications that we had as far as saying, okay, Rick, we understand your vision. Now, what does each part of the team, each person, each process, how does it align with what that vision, that stated vision is? You know, it's interesting. You, you started off with vision because in the book, he mentioned six key components of a successful business. And that's a vision, people, data, dealing with issues, having a process, and then gaining traction. And we're going to hopefully touch on all those. Let's stay with vision because I've been in some very painful meetings in several organizations where they're like, hey, we have to have a mission statement. We need to develop vision. And you try to do it by committee with 30 people in a room or more enterprise-wide. And it, it just turns into yeah, this. How does that work? Like, yeah. And, 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 and some people just like throw in the towel and say, this is a waste of time because they're jaded. Some people are really into it, but they have conflicting kind of ideas. How yeah. did you, because you know, your, your company, as you said, I think you said you started in 1985. You've been yeah. around for a while. How did you wow. say to your team, what's our vision without you being the CEO saying, here's our vision. I mean, how, how did you yeah. deal with that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's tough. I mean, it, to a certain extent, it was a collaborative process, but then also it was kind of top down in certain ways. I will say it was during a big, big period of change for us. For many, many years prior to that, I had a business partner. And in my case, we're a family owned business. It was my sister that was my business partner. And it was a tug of war in many ways. Like I always wanted us to have more structure and to have a business management system. She didn't feel the same way. There, there were probably many reasons for it, but when you're 50, 50 partners and one says no to something, well, it's not going to happen, you know, unless you can get, come to some, some sort of agreement. So when ultimately we got to that point in the history of the business where I was the CEO, I was able to say, guys, I have a different idea for how this business can run. I have thoughts on how we can collectively be successful together by working in alignment with each other. And it starts with a centralized vision. And so what I threw out initially was, and to be fair, we did already have stated vision and mission statements. We just mm -hmm. had to tweak those a little bit to address kind of the current business environment and what we wanted to do with the company. And so, no, it wasn't an entirely top-down thing. It was a little bit collaborative, but certainly not across the whole company. It was really a kind of a smaller group thing that we did with our coach. And we just decided, okay, this is, this is what the vision is. Makes a lot of sense. It's funny. You talked on this, the situation with your partner, your sister in the, in the past and in the book, he talks about it. And I, I bring it up about the, that he talks about in the book because I've seen it in real life as well, that uh, a lot of people don't want to let go of the vine. That means they're up to a certain point and they can see that there may be better ways to do things, but they don't want to let go of what they've been doing in the past, right? It's so hard because, you know, you, you build up a business and, and you're like, well, we've always done it this way. And look, we've achieved this level of success. Why would we change? And 
So how do you deal with that kind of conversation? And- it's funny you bring it up that way because I mean, literally, that was the conversation over. Like, wait, wait a second. Why do we need to do all this extra work to get ourselves "quote unquote" organized when we're already successful and things are working really well? That was a challenge. Honestly, it was it was a big, big challenge to say, okay, and and I'll put it in, from a mindset standpoint. It is the lifestyle business versus a business that is a thriving, growing business that is scalable. And I, I really wanted the latter. I wanted our company dynamic language to be the latter style of business and not just, and I shouldn't say just, I mean, there's many, there are many things about a lifestyle business that are super valuable and positive. And, you know, I respect anybody that has any kind of successful business. Um, but it does come down to ambition level. What do you want to do? And for me, I think to attract the, t- the top talent, retain the top talent, there has to be some level of motivation when it comes to the growth of the business and incentivizing people and their desire to help the business grow. It, it, it has to align with, you know, their compensation it has to align with the, the potential for growth within their position, as well as the growth of the company, of course. And so for me, that was a big factor in saying like, let's make this a growth based business it doesn't have to be, you know, 30% per year or anything like that, but let's get beyond this level where we are right now and have systems and processes and people that are able to drive it forward and, and create some opportunities. And that was the other thing I was going to mention is there was a flatness in the organization related to job positions and things like that. And so through this, I think we have found that it's been beneficial to create more tiers, to have opportunities for personal growth, you know, to go beyond, let's say project manager, like there are different roles within our team now and an ability to get to a senior PM role. And I'm also candid with people like, Hey, you may not work here forever. And I mean, it's rare that anyone does. We've got a number of employees that are 20 plus year employees, 10 plus year employees. And I really honor and appreciate that. But at the same time, I understand based on a person's personal ambitions, they might want a two year position And then the ability to either start their own thing or jump ship and go to another company where there is greater growth potential. And so I honor that and I'm like, okay, just give me the two best years you can. You're going to learn a lot here. Hopefully you're going to work your tail off and uh, we're both going to benefit and it's a win-win. So I I understand not everybody can be a 20-year employee. No. And so what what I'm hearing you say is basically... If you're not growing, you're just kind of static and possibly even going backwards eventually, right? So you want to you want to That's create you yeah you, you want to create growth so that you can be a more viable business, but also you can attract people to your business because if you're not growing, what kind of people are you going to attract, if anybody? But in order to grow, you need to have some kind of processes in place that will allow you to scale because if you're printing out checks and paying all your bills the old way with paper checks, that might be the way that you've, I, I know companies that do that still, <laughs> but oh, it might be the way that you've always done it, but there are better, more efficient ways to do things, right? And so, so much. before we jump to the people thing, I want to just stay on the vision part for a second, because yeah. he brought up in his book, a couple, I thought, unique ways to help devise or develop a vision statement. List three people who, if you could clone them, would lead to market domination and then list the characteristics of those people or what they embody. I thought that was a pretty cool way to come up with, mm-hmm. you know, what your vision is or what, the, what, what kind of qualities that you want to develop in your organization. Yeah, that's one thing that I think Wickman does a great job of is 
being practical. It's not just about storytelling. In some books, really gonna kind of go too far down that path. And like, oh, you know, when I was seven years old, and then take a whole chapter just talking about a paper route. No, this is <laughs> this this book contains a huge amount of direction and tools, practical tools that you can apply to get to the end goal of, again, in this case, creating a vision. So yeah, I think that whole concept of being helpful, clarifying that vision, ensuring that everyone is working towards the same goals. I mean, that's what every, every book that talks about vision wants to do. I think the way that he talks about it in the actual exercises and tools that he shares that you can go through to, to, to make it happen really resonated with me. And, and it's, it's just one aspect of the book, but I think it's just a philosophy that they apply throughout. I mean, you talk about all the different components and obviously we're going to get to a bunch of them. Yeah. It's, it was, it's, it's a roadmap. It really is. Yeah. If you follow it, you know, you're going to have some, your own version of a system that should be able to help and drive you forward. Yeah. Again, he doesn't just say, okay, here's a methodology. Now go run with it. He actually has every single thing, like how to deal with issues. So there's only like 12 different kinds of issues. And here's how you deal with these different types of issues yeah. that I'm like, but before we get to those, let's talk about people because mm -hmm. he talks about, you know, getting the right people in the right seats. Why don't you talk about a little bit about your experience in terms of getting the right people, getting them in the right seats, but also using your vision to attract or filter candidates that you're looking to hire. Yeah, definitely. I'll address the, the last part first, because I think it's so important to be able to speak to candidates or potential talent that you're talking to a little bit about the history of the company, but your trajectory, like, okay, this is where we were. These are some of the challenges that we faced and we grew this much over this period of time. And this is what I'm seeing for the future and really giving them that inspiration that, you know, for helping them to see the potential of the seat on the bus that they can take to help drive that growth. It is it because it is, it has to align with the vision. And for us, we were a firm that I will say a long time ago, we established core values, uh, right? So there are like six core values that for us are our identity, right? And it's that for me has been a process of helping and re reinstilling on a regular basis. Hey guys, this is what we're about. You know, and for us, like responsiveness is kind of the top one and, but you know, being timely in our communications, but not at the expense of quality, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. And we're not going to go down that road, but I will just say these core values have been intrinsic in our recruitment efforts and identifying talent and making sure that it's a fit between the people, the people that we're trying to bring on board or, you know, that we're trying to filter through to be able to bring on board, you know, they've got to, those core values that we have, they're not changing. We really need those people to understand them and ultimately to embrace them. And there are specific questions that we ask through the interview process that help to kind of, you know, uh, filter out the ones that just, it's not a fit. Yeah, I could give you some ridiculous examples, but you know, we got a lot of ground to cover. But just having that vision there as a reference, because yeah. sometimes you're like, yeah, I, I like this person. They might be a good fit. But if you go mm -hmm. back and you look and say, what the kind of culture that we're trying to build, do they yeah. think all the boxes of that? And you're like, oh, because I, I recently had a situation. I mean, I, I, when I read the mm -hmm. book, I was like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're just getting started as a startup. We've got me, our CRO, our, our CTO, and our dev team. And do we really need a vision? 
I was like, you know what? I think we kind of do. And our vision has to do with, you know, seeking low cost, elegant solutions to complex problems, to communicating openly, honestly, transparently. And if you don't know something, just saying you don't know and asking like, hey, you yeah. know, just kind of creating that culture. Yeah. And it's funny because I was, I, I was, you know, interviewing a couple of candidates and I started to go down the road with, with one. And then I reflected upon, even though we haven't formally made that, it was like, you know what, does it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So it's, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's just like, that's not the direction that person is going to move in. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's good to have that kind of touchstone there, you know, to just mm -hmm. kind of, to, to reference yeah. back to you, like mm -hmm. you, you have a, a, you know, relatively mature team and you're bringing new people in. Did you ever find that this is the right person, but they're in the wrong seat? Did you ever come across situations like that? Almost definitely. And I think one of the key things that I did was being able to take somebody that had proven himself in this case, uh, he'd proven himself to be super valuable in every role that he had played. And it was the right move in my mind to give him an opportunity to take another step up when I became CEO. And so, yeah, no, he is my right hand. He and I collaborate on just about every important decision that has to happen for the company. Well, and it's, of course we include other people that are relevant in the moment, but yeah, he's my director of operations and, and yeah, I mean, he started as a desktop publisher. But to talk about somebody that has applied themselves and learned and really, really has embraced the core values. Like, why wouldn't I, you know, really reward that in, in some ways, but also challenge him and challenge him to say, okay, what is your ambition level? Do you want to do more? Can you do more? Because that's one thing that, that Wickman talks about in the book, and that's capacity. If somebody doesn't, what, what do they say? It's, it's much like, got it want it, get it, want it and capacity, capacity to, do it. to do it. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And that's the question we have to ask over and over again. Does this person have it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity to do it? And that's easier to answer, I think, from an internal standpoint, because you know the people. And so, um, you know, we can try from the outside, but of course not, it's, it's difficult to look at somebody from outside your organization and to really know outside of the resume in the interview, what is their capacity? Are they, they say they're able to do something. And I'll tell you, we've had some misses. So we've had some painful you misses. and the especially. rest of the world. I mean, hiring <laughs> is probably the most challenging part of growing a business. Yeah, I would not disagree with that. But when something is a hit, when it works, it's so great because it's yeah. one less thing that you need to worry about when you're giving a person an area of responsibility. And of course, I'm mostly talking about people that are in leadership positions. When you do find somebody that can take ownership of their area of the business. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's completely business changing and it's so uh, beneficial. Yeah. Cause then you, you know, you've got a pillar that you can build off of. Well, that accountability piece kind of mm. pops up all throughout the, the traction book, you know, it's just mm -hmm. helping to join accountability, individual accountability and kind of yeah. enforcing that. And I don't know if you've ever been in an organization where people make commitments, but then they let it slide. And oh, it's, it's demoralizing yeah. to everybody and you don't yeah. get any traction. You don't move yeah, forward. Yeah, because yeah. People just, you know. Well, can I mention one thing related to that? Because sure. I, I think it's so important. Like there are many business analogies that we've heard thousands of times, right? And the people on the bus analogy, right? So in this scenario, hypothetically, I'm the CEO and I've got a lot of people on the bus, getting them in the right seats. Of course, that's part of it and making sure that their requirements in them align with what they're capable of doing. But I heard a, a really interesting twist on that analogy. There's a speaker, this is a couple of years ago at the ALC conference in Las Vegas. I think her name's Michelle Hecken. She's a former language company owner. I think she was a linguist at first, but she said, 
think about making your organization a series of buses, right? And each area of the organization is its own bus. And so the person leading my sales organization, they're their own little mini CEO and empowering them to make the decisions they need to, to make that bus operate the way it needs to, to support the rest of the team. But then also, of course, the accountability part that you talk about. And, you know, for her, she was able to create an organization that she was like, I'm going to step back and let this thing run. And she sold it and did quite well. And as uh, I understand it, she's quite happy. So I think that's a pretty good blueprint, but it is so much about having the right people in the right seats. And, but yeah, I think you were going towards the accountability thing, which for me is paramount. Totally. I think people, in my experience, the right people thrive on autonomy and accountability and they want to be held accountable and they want other people, their colleagues to be held accountable. But before I go too far down on that, because you know, you mentioned your right-hand person in the company and there, I think you said it's head of, head of operations. So mm-hmm. in the book, he talks about every company needs an entrepreneur and an integrator. And yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to have an entrepreneur mm-hmm. running around going like, Hey, I got an idea. Hey, I got an idea. I got an idea. <laughs> and because you need somebody. <laughs> so and, it's and, kind of hitting deep right now. Well, no, no. But when I read that, I was like, but I, I think I can do both, but you know, but like, wh- what are your thoughts? And, and did you guys look at each other when, you know, when, when, when you came to that oh. part of the, the, the program? It was crystal clear from the beginning of the program, which role belonged to whom, right? I mean, okay. for sure. <laughs> the visionary part of things was me all the way for, for him. He is just built to be the integrator person. You know, he mm-hmm. runs our, as EOS dialogue calls it, the L10 meeting. So we have a weekly meeting that is gospel for us. Like you, I think our team in general, everybody attends well over 90% of the meetings uh, throughout the year, but he helped build it. He runs it. And it was, yeah, very crystal clear based on mindset, based on skill set, experience and everything that the vision role is going to be mine. The integrated role is going to be his. So yeah, that was, it was, it's been a good fit. I'll say. That's awesome. Okay. So we've talked about vision and people. The other four areas are data issues, process and traction. Let's get into data because I've been in some organizations where they want to collect all kinds of data from everybody. And that can be painful and demoralizing too, um, because people yeah. want to see, well, how is this? What's the benefit of this? Why do you need this? Right? Especially, I'll, right. I'll talk about salespeople. When you have a CRM and you and you have management that they want all kinds of data, and you're like, okay, I'm supposed to be out selling, but you want me yeah. to be behind the computer entering data, right? And you mm-hmm. need to find a happy balance there. Absolutely. In terms of the data or the scorecard, why don't you describe the best practice and and, and what you've adopted? Yeah, that for me is so the foundation of what we do every week and why it drives us forward. The scorecard, basically, we figured out the key performance indicators, the various line items for each team. So marketing has its own set of stats. And I think we probably keep about, I don't know, eight stats for marketing. We've got two separate sections for sales. They've got their own stats related to their pipeline, what closed in the last week, the you know, what they're on track for, like it's, it's the, the numbers that matter, the numbers that tell us whether we're being successful or not. And I just wrote about this on LinkedIn actually. And I think it's, it's really important for me that the numbers where it makes sense to have goals to set goals and make it a collaborative process, right? You can't just do this as a one-off. And for us, we actually had a team retreat for our senior leadership team where we did this together as a big group. Mm-hmm. And it was, it got built from top down, right? We decided, okay, we know revenue wise, what we did in 2020 
2022 and 2023 was almost done. This was in November of 23. We knew what we were on track for. And uh, I was really, really proud and happy that we hit our goal for 23. And so we set a goal for 2024 and we used that number to define the KPI that were needed to support that goal, right? From a sales standpoint, from a marketing standpoint, from an operational standpoint. And you don't have control over all of them, of course, but the numbers that you do have control over, you do what you have to do to, to meet the goals. So again, I will say not every number that we track has a goal and not every goal is static. Sometimes we say, okay, well, we need to adjust that down. Like our, our hold time for our interpreting scheduling team, like they were knocking it out of the park over and over again. Like they were hitting, we set a goal of uh, whatever the number was and they were beating it handily every week. So we're like, you know, let's, let's challenge ourselves to be, to, 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 you know, have a higher goal or a better goal. And we right. do that on a regular basis. And some goals we've found like, hey, if you're in the red every single week, for one thing, it leads to conversations and sure. it's like, okay, did we, did we set the goal in the wrong place? Why are we not hitting it? Are we not capable of hitting it? Do we need to change things from a process standpoint, a people standpoint, et cetera? That's one of my favorite things about this is that things that are issues lead to conversations. Conversations lead to action. And hopefully you take the right action, you pull the right lever and something changes for the better. But of course, in business, there are so many variables. You never know when somebody, somebody is going to leave their position. You know, that can affect your numbers drastically, et cetera. But the, having that weekly cadence of reviewing the numbers that matter across the company, make sure that everyone is accountable for their area of the business. And it's, and it's not just between them and their supervisor. It's across the whole team. And so, yeah, the scorecard, I think is super, super important. But of course, beyond that, you've got your weekly to do's, the, as they call it rocks, you know, in mm -hmm. the analogy that, that they go into, we review those every week and nobody wants to be the person that has a to do that took more than a week or the rock that never gets any progress on it. So I think that it, for me has been one of the best things about this system is that we do have some big picture items that we're trying to accomplish they don't get accomplished unless you pay attention to them. And so, yeah, from a stats, from a data standpoint, yeah, we're very committed to it. And, but you did bring up a really good point when you're talking about the sales example, and that is finding that balance of investing time into tracking important data versus doing the job. Right. And right. so we do try to pick data points uh, that are not that difficult to collect. Uh, yeah. Sometimes some of them are a little bit, uh, challenging. And honestly, in some cases we've changed software because we're not happy about the reporting component and, and, uh, what it can do from a data standpoint, but it's something that we're committed to. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, I think in his book, he, he talks about the, the importance of a scorecard that you want to have things in there that are forward looking, um, indicators, right? Like for example, yeah. the PNL, that's going to tell you how you did, right. but you know, your, the number of new prospects in your pipeline is going to tell you how you're going to be doing, right? Things mm -hmm. like that. So, and I think he advises something like five to 15 items in a scorecard. It sounds like you have scorecards for each team. Exactly. Right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then the other thing you, you brought up is like, it allows you sometimes to identify issues mm -hmm. and then he, he's got a, he's got a solution for everything. I think it was, it was it identify, discuss and mm -hmm. solve, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and then he, and then he breaks it down to the, basically there are issues that 
there's just business problems. Okay, th mm -hmm. this is a problem we weren't expecting. Okay, and then yeah. there are issues related to communicating something to the team and getting people to agree. And then there's like brainstorming ideas. Do we go or no go on this new idea? But those th three three different types. Tell me about how you okay because you know you're the CEO. And a lot of times in companies, you go into the meeting and somebody say, we have this problem. And then everybody looks at the CEO and says, well, what, what, what should we do? Yeah. What's your approach? Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not the person that just has all the answers. I mean, it does, it just can't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And I don't like it when it comes down to that. So I think no matter what the person that knows the most about the situation, step one is, okay, give me your perspective. Tell me what we need to know as a group. And what do you think the right solution is? right? Have them propose the first solution because it's the monkey on your back analogy, right? Okay. So mm -hmm. they've got this monkey on their back and they just want to put it on yours. It's like, well, right. okay, no, let's, let's together figure out how to deal with this monkey. And so, yeah, I, I think for us, a lot of our challenges or business issues and challenges that come up through the week, if they're not immediately time sensitive, what we'll do is we'll push them to our meeting, which happens every Thursday and it gets added to the issues list. And we talk through it. And again, it's, it's something where, okay, if it's Jennifer's department and it's a challenge and maybe it involves other departments, we kind of talk through what's going on, why we think it's going on. And then it's a brainstorm on how to solve it. And then once, you know, and if I feel like there's like maybe a couple of different directions that, that are being thrown out there and they both have merit, I will weigh in, of course, you know, and I think it is important, but I also want to make sure that it's not just a top-down decision in every case. I mean, for the most part, I think the best business decisions that we make are collaborative. I think it works better that way for us. Makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you this. In his book, he talks about, you know, quarterly goals, yearly goals, three-year goals, and then 10-year goals. 10-year goals for me, that's like, ah, I don't even know. It's like, I, I, so, yeah, my brain so, can't operate that way. It's too I far, mean, man. But did, you, but did you go through that? I mean, because he, he's, he's saying like, where do you want to be in 10 Damn. years? And then like reverse engineer it back to where you are now. Yeah. But, so like, where did you draw the line? I mean, did you go to 10 or did you go to three or one? Or like, what do you, what, how right. did you do with that? You're you're making me feel a little guilty right now because yes, we did go <laughs> through that exercise. Yes, we did look at those numbers. But our long-term goals, honestly, we have not, we, I need to revisit those and just make sure and see where we are, you know, whether we're on track or that on those or not. I'm really curious. I, I know that we set a super ambitious and to be fair, it wasn't me. It was my sales leader and my operations leader. They're like, you know what? In 10 years we want to be, and it was like triple what our, our revenue was at that moment. And I'm like, okay, I like the idea, but how are we going to get there? And truly, company. Man, yeah, yeah, maybe that's the way to do it. Yeah, just take a, a massive loan and buy a big company. I don't know. But we did go through the exercise. We totally did and kind of figured out we want to be in one, three, et cetera. And I will say we're, we're trending ahead of what we originally thought of for our three-year goal. And, you know, hey, obviously credit to the system, but big time credit to the people that wanted the inspiration. They, they saw the, the brass ring and wanted to go grab it. And yeah, that's, that's, it makes me uh, super happy and super proud when we do hit any goals. Now, if we can hit our goal this year, again, these are the same people. They were super ambitious about our goal this year. I'm really hopeful we get it. And they know that, hey, you know, the pr productivity bonuses, the, the company success bonus, if you almost get to your goal, no, that's not getting paid out. Like we have to exceed the goal for mm. the bonuses to happen. And they know it. And they're like, yeah, 
we are on board. We want this to be a big goal. So yeah, we're, I'm, I'm hopeful that they're right. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm just going to ask you about one more thing, and then I want to then I want to go back to your direct experience learning and implementing the EOS. But you know, he talks about process, and you know, you should have a three three step process for everything, and then you should document it. A lot of companies aren't good at documenting, especially when you're that small, medium size, you know, yeah. kind of legacy. We have this legacy system, and you know that our accountant has always been our accountant, and she knows what the process is, and you know, oh. and our marketing people they know what the processes are, but there's no documentation. Mm -hmm. And if that key person leaves, or something happens, or you want to change mm -hmm. something, so have you been? disciplined and can you maybe even give an yeah. example of where you went and looked at the process changed it and then documented it yeah absolutely I, I think that's a massive thing for us and you know credit again to my director of operations on this one we have kind of two-part area for for our our process and our training for documenting processes and in multiple ways basically that's what i'm trying to get at so uh, we're a microsoft shop so sharepoint is our intranet and we utilize that to I think great effect. I, I really, it's amazing the tools that are out there that are part of that suite and by no means are we maximizing what it's capable of. But I will say that using Teams to create video training has been mm -hmm. really, really helpful and it's pretty darn easy. Like if something becomes out of date because you're utilizing new software or you've modified the process, just, hey, you know, carve out time in your schedule to make a 30 minute video and record it stash it, you know, with your team's training area, boom, you're done. I think not everybody learns the same way though. And as practical and helpful as I think video training is, uh, written documentation is critical too. I would certainly say when it comes to accounting and finance, having like written documentation on all the different things that come up in receivables and payables and tax reporting and all this stuff. I think that's huge. We also really use lists quite a bit. And I'm reminded of that because of accounting and finance and making sure that we on uh, a regular basis take care of the things that need to be done, like paying taxes and uh, for all the different states that we have employees and then all the municipalities where we do work, et cetera. It's kind of a bear, but you can get a hold of that bear by creating this structure that helps you attack it. And of course, you always have to keep in mind that, and this is of analogies, is one of the uglier ones. What if somebody was hit by a bus? And there's probably a nicer way to say that. But in reality, if a person is suddenly unavailable to perform their duties, mm -hmm. how difficult is it going to be to have someone else step in and take over? Right. And believe me, I know all about that in the sense that we, you know, there was a time of great turmoil for us during COVID and we had to just completely shift a lot of what we were doing and have people step into roles that they weren't familiar with. And it, and it was a real challenge. And that was pretty good motivation to say, you know, this hadn't been documented well enough ahead of time. Let's do something about that. And so it's something that we do try to do now. Certainly anytime there's a software change, you got to create new documentation and, 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 and training info. Are we as up to speed as I want us to be? Not 100%, but I still feel pretty good that if, I'm not going to say the bus thing, if an issue <laughs> came up that we wouldn't really experience too much. And I'll also mention that as a, an ISO uh, firm, I can't say that we're ISO certified, but I can say our quality management system is certified. We, we do the ISO 9001 standard, 17100. And then also 27001, which is the information security management standard that has absolutely taught us 
how important it is to have documented processes. And, and that it just goes part and parcel with making sure that everything is, is documented, up to date, audited, and considered valid. Awesome. Okay. Now let's go back to before EOS and you're looking around and you're thinking, okay, you know, things are going okay, but if we want to get to the next level, we probably need to bring a little bit of structure to this. And you're looking around and you're like, well, this looks pretty good, but how much time is in resources is this going to take? And, and so you have to sell yourself on it or in your leadership team, but then you also have to you, you got to make that commitment in terms of resources and time, but then you also have to get the team on board with it because a lot of people have been through, all of us, I think, have been through kind of initiatives, right? Oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And a lot of times they fail. Yeah. You get, you get people who just don't want to get on the bus. They don't, they, they, they just don't want to see change. Right. So yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about your decision process in terms of choosing this program and then, you know, making the commitment because I, I, you know, it, it's a commitment of, 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 of money and time. Right. Yeah. And people need to be doing their jobs. Right. I mean, every time I do something, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to be doing that. And it's like, you, you have to figure out, you got to mm -hmm. prioritize. So how did you make that decision? How did you sell yourself on it, your leadership team? And then how did you convince the rest of your team that, Hey guys, we're doing this. Yeah. Great question. I think by default humans and certainly workers in particular, are resistant to change. I think mm -hmm. people like what they know. They get comfortable. They, and this isn't everybody. I'm just. It's a. It's a very much a generalization, but I think it holds pretty true, based on my 30 plus years in business. You know, if somebody can earn a good living, you know, taking widget A, doing whatever they need to with it, and producing something like it's that's fine. Change is difficult. Not everybody's up for it. But I think, yes, if you can paint a picture as to what the future can look like and the benefits of implementing that change, then it gets them a little bit more on board. But I think one of the big hurdles, of course, is the perception that, okay, wait a second, if we're going to start this whole business management system thing, that sounds like more work to me. That sounds like in addition to what I'm already doing, I have to do more stuff. No, thank you. And there are absolutely a percentage of people in an organization that felt that way. They're like, you know, they weren't excited about it. But at the same time, once the internal decision for me, just the mental decision to say, you know what, I finally get a chance to get us more organized, to give us more structure. I know that there are benefits there. I personally know X number of people. And I, I probably knew like four, maybe five people personally that had implemented EOS to great success. Like, okay, guys, there is, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and there, there's going to be a lot of things. And so I, I think this is one example of where some sort of track record that you can point to and say, guys, if we, if we just start keeping an eye on our, on these statistics, they're going to get attention. They're going to, stats are going to improve. Things are going to get better. I think, you know, th there were definitely some people that found their way out of the organization where they're like, you know what? This isn't what I signed up for. It's not, I'm not excited about it. I like the way things used to be, whatever. I would say that was a process that took a couple of years where we had some turnover. We were basically able to say, all right, well, we're bringing in new people that have a, a really fresh view of what the company is and can look like and what the future can look like. And so from that standpoint, you know, they, 
it, it, it has really become kind of a cohesive team where in spite of the fact that we have some 20 plus year employees, they're the ones that were able to embrace change and were able to take that prior knowledge and to apply it going forward in a positive way and to be a good influence. I hope anyway, I hope they, they weren't like, you know, saying poisonous things in the background as things were, you know, progressing towards the COS journey. But I, I really don't think they were, you know, I truly it's, it's been, it has been a journey, but I really feel like we're finally at a point of more stability when it comes to our people and processes and technology. I mean, those three pillars of what we do, you know, the, the ones that like the lack of change, the ones that like, you know, just doing what, what's normal, they're kind of at, at that position right now. We're not implementing a lot of change at this point. So the people that like comfort, I think are getting to be in that position. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I do agree that the majority of people seem to be change resistant, even though a lot of times, you know, I mean, I've involved with an organization that try to adopt OKRs, for example, and many people were resistant and and I, I, I looked at it as like, what's the problem? I mean, because really what's happening here is you're getting a whole lot of clarity in terms of what's expected of you and how you can contribute to the overall mission of the organization. There's, there's, we're just stripping away all the ambiguity here in terms of what you need to do. And maybe some people are afraid of that because they don't want that accountability piece. But if they don't want the accountability piece, then I would argue that probably they're not the right people. On the it bus. would totally agree with you. Yep. Yeah. So if you want to give some advice to other business leaders like yourself, medium-sized enterprise, I think in, in his book, and I actually listened to a podcast with Gina Wickman and, and he's like, I work with companies from one person up to 251. And if they've got more than that, I'm not going to work with them. That said, he did admit that he, he his system is used and that he has worked with companies that do, you know, a couple billion dollars a year in revenue. So but he said his real target is on the small, medium-sized businesses, companies up to about 250 employees and so on. But if you're talking to a leader in that kind of area there and they're struggling, what advice would you give them in terms of when is the right time or when is it appropriate to look at a, a solution like the EOS? Well, I think you've made an incredibly good decision by looking at it prior to the start of the company, honestly, going right. into everything like, you know, with the ability to have that vision part pretty much done and have that drive everything else that you're trying to decide on as far as establishing, you know, everything as far as the health of the business. But, you know, what, did, what do they say? Um, you know, the, the best time to make a positive change is, you know, yesterday, but yesterday's right. gone. So the next best time is now. Right. I think truly the benefits of having structure of investing your thought and your time into figuring out how to make whatever is good about your company better and to make it scalable. It's worth it. It's worth the time to do all those things, whether or not you want, like we talked about earlier, a lifestyle type business versus a, a growth type business. Of course, it depends on what kind of exit you want, what your long-term personal goals and strategy are, your, your stakeholders, what do they want? I don't think there's anybody in that world of stakeholders with any companies that is anti-structure and organization and growth. I mean, those three, they, they kind of fit together, right? Sure. Is there pain along the way? Quite often, yes, because you, because there's the unknown and sometimes best laid plans go by the board. 
but you drive forward and you find different solutions. And, and that's kind of like the fun part of business in some cases, like painful, yes, but when you find a solution to something that was challenging, it's super rewarding at the same time. So yeah, I, I, I do think it comes down to who are the stakeholders and you know, if they are on board with the challenge of organizing your, your business in a way like EOS or some of the other uh, systems out there, then, and I think it's all, you know, full steam ahead. It's, it's absolutely, you know, all positive, but yeah, it's, it's about embracing that challenge. Awesome. Hey, last question. You mentioned that you have a business coach and I think that you said that mm -hmm. he's like EOS certified, or at least he's familiar with the program. How does that work? How often does your coach come in and meet with you or the team? And yeah, just explain that yeah. process. Yeah, no, totally. So yeah, he is, he's somebody that I've known for more than 10 years and he has been a business consultant and coach that whole time, but I haven't worked with him that whole time. I really only started working with him when we, we decided to go down the route of uh, EOS. And fortunately for me, he had helped two, I think two other companies prior to us. And basically EOS aligned with a lot of his philosophies anyway. So he's like, mm -hmm. all right, let me just kind of absorb all this and then I can help you go through the process. And it was, yeah, he was able to handhold myself and each person on the team through what it takes to make the system happen and, and to get it going. And so from a cadence standpoint, he attends almost every single one of our L10 meetings on, on Thursdays. And then we also, he has one-on-one -on -one time with certain members of our senior leadership team. Well, it's in, in most cases, it's kind of one-on-two. It's both him and myself and, and the person, but it's their meeting. It's their agenda. And we mm -hmm. get to just kind of talk and brainstorm and figure things out. But yeah, no, he's been invaluable. And, and for sure, I, I would say this whole process would have been a lot longer and more painful without his guidance, for sure. Awesome. Well, hey, Rick, you know, I, I, I know from talking with you personally that you've had a lot of, it's a really positive experience going through this and in, in, in adopting the EOS. And I want to say thank you for coming on the Grow Fast podcast and talking about your experience. We're going to get this out there because our target audience also is small, medium-sized business owners and, you know, chief revenue officers and so on. I think there's a lot of valuable information here. So thank you so much. Hey, pleasure to be here. Obviously, super happy for you and proud for you, the new venture and this podcast. And it's been an honor to be with you on this. So yeah, anytime you need uh, me for anything in the future, just say the word. I will. Thanks, Rick. Take care. Cheers. Bye. All right. Thanks, man. Mm -hmm.